In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Before the advent of agriculture, man still lived as a hunter-gatherer. Small bands of humans living a nomadic life, following the migration of the herds which sustained them, gathering fruit of the land as they went. The men would go off and hunt game, while the women gathered food near camp. Then one day, about 15,000 years ago, a clan of humans was gathered around a campfire. From out of the night, a lone wolf approached. Wolves and man were natural enemies, bitter rivals, both social animals living in packs, hunting the same food, and sometimes each other. What made this particular wolf different from all the others is impossible to know. Had it been driven from its pack and was now desperate with hunger, as well as longing for a new pack, who knows? Whatever the case, it didn't approach right away. Perhaps it waited until the humans moved on, following their hunt and picking at the scraps left behind. Perhaps the humans noticed it, throwing rocks at it to drive it away. But it kept close. Someone, maybe a child, saw its emaciated frame and took pity on it and tossed it some crumbs. That's all it took. They weren't getting rid of the wolf now. The humans soon found the wolf useful. She could see better at night, warning them of danger. She could smell better than them, alerting them to nearby game. And then the wolf was gone. Strangely, the humans were sad. The wolf was more than just useful. They did something no other animal can do, only man. They wondered. They wondered about her. They wondered where she had gone. They wondered why she had gone. They cared about her. And then she was back, but not alone. She brought others with her. She brought her offspring. She allowed them to teach and train her children. Over time, the wolf became a dog. It's fascinating what happened. All the variety we see in dogs, sizes, ears, shapes of tail, types of fur, coloring, were hidden in the wolf but locked away. The potential was trapped. A wolf, as long as it is a wolf, will only ever be a wolf. Wolf can't even bark, it can only howl. But if you take wolves and breed the most docile and friendly with one another, and keep doing that. Eventually, all the dogginess is released and allowed to bloom. The transformation from wolf to doggo took generations. Similarly, God's transformation of humanity and preparation for its salvation took generations. From God's deliverance of Noah and the flood, preserving mankind's potential, to his covenant with Abraham and his descendants, from his rescue of his chosen people from captivity in Egypt, and eventually establishment of the Davidic kingdom. God was slowly preparing mankind for the coming of its Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to save all humanity, but his mission began with Israel, the people with whom God had made his promise, the people who first left the darkness and took those first tentative steps towards the light. They were the lost sheep of whom Jesus referred to in today's gospel. To them, his miracles were to be a sign, a foretaste of the kingdom of God, a beckoning to leave the wilderness and come closer. That is the truth that, in her desperation, the Syrophoenician woman stumbled upon. That the miracles of Jesus, his healing of the sick and defeat of demons, are mere crumbs, morsels of the wedding feast of the Lamb. This Gentile woman realized 
that they were not the feast itself. The signs that he performed are but the first bits of food tossed to us that beckon us closer, that we may leave the cold and darkness of the wilderness and brave that firelight that our wild natures recoil from. In our baptism, we are freed from sin like a wolf rescued from a bear trap. But we are faced with a choice. Do we run back into the wilds or cast our lot with the one who rescued us? Do we, in the words of St. Paul in our epistle, abound more and more in Christ? Or do we go our own way and trip the next bear trap? Baptism is truly newness of life, where we die to sin, putting away the old man and putting on the new. But above all, it is a beginning. In baptism, we are made new, but in the sense of refreshed or cleansed. We are given the ability to slough off our old selves, but we must actually do the work of shaking ourselves free of our old husks. It is then that we have the opportunity to participate in our own making. Not a transformation that takes generations, but one that takes a single lifetime. Our lifetimes. With whatever time we have left, be it decades, years, months, or even minutes, Jesus can transform us, transform us if only we'd let him. He won't merely give us scraps, but satisfy our deepest hunger. He will fill our deepest emptiness. Now, it may be surprising to hear that we can still have an emptiness after our baptisms. After all, we have received salvation. Our sins have been forgiven, and Christ lives in us and we in him. How can we still be empty? Our Lenten disciplines, however, reveal the truth of the matter. In fasting, the depths of our emptiness is revealed to us. In our attempt to abstain from the things of this world, we gain knowledge that we have been using them to fill our emptiness, to patch over our brokenness, to anesthetize our pain. We have filled our emptiness with the things of this world and in our fasts, we reveal the voids in our soul and can finally allow Jesus to fill them. With our baptisms, we enter into newness of life, but it is still new. We are saved, but in reality, salvation is only crumbs at the Lord's table. We are offered so much more in Christ than the avoidance of hell. We are offered freedom, true freedom. Baptism begins our journey towards sanctification, the process of God infusing us with righteousness. Our Lenten disciplines are parts along our journey of sanctification, leading us towards our glory, just as Jesus' glorification led through Jerusalem and the cross. The cross in which he recreated the tree of everlasting life, which we lost access to in our rebellion. The cross in which he defeated death and sin by dying for our sins, defeating once and for all the king of this world, death. For death is the ultimate ruler of this world because it is the ultimate end. The telos of this world is death. Our first step in our journeys of sanctifications begins with that realization, a realization revealed in our Lenten failures. In Lent, we are confronted with the truth that money, renown, and comfort, while good and in and of themselves, are merely things of this world. Whether someone is in Christ or rejects him, whether someone is righteous or wicked, the things of this world are still available to them precisely because they are things of this world. If we are in Christ, 
those things can be transformed into something transcendent, not because he changes them, but because he changes us. They are transformed by and through us if we are transformed by and through him. In him, as we live out the kingdom of God, manifesting in our earthly lives the reality of our eternal ones, lives in which we do righteous things because we become righteous, and any other way of doing something is no longer a part of our natures. Righteousness is no longer work, in the same way a sheepdog does not work a herd, but is merely doing that which fulfills him. We are fulfilled inasmuch as our emptiness is filled by Christ, by his presence in us, abounding more and more as vessels, filled not with muck or broken, but reshaped by him and filled by him, filled by the one who is light of light, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel, beckoning us out of the darkness of our wild natures and into the transforming light that is life everlasting. For as St. John wrote, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.